Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out Toronto today on our Tuesday show after a long weekend. And two big stories come to light that we've got to talk about. And that's the big storm we had on Saturday that left a wake of damage. This wasn't just a, a small storm with a with an epicenter in a, in a small area. This cut right through most of Ontario, basically right up the 401 corridor all the way to Ottawa. And uh, wow, so much damage. And we all are asking, could we have known about it any earlier? Sometimes Mother Nature wins, uh, as we like to say on the show. And it certainly did Saturday. But could we have prepared? Could we have done anything about it? We'll talk to Anthony Farnell, Global News Chief Meteorologist, about that. And I want to weigh in on some of the violence from Sunday night uh, that happened uh, at Woodbine Beach. Crazy scenes. Like, we've seen the video of this with uh, fireworks being shot at, thrown at police officers, you got seven injured police officers, including one with a broken leg. What on earth are we talking about here in this city? That and much, much more coming up. Toronto Today begins now. Let me start here. Sometimes in cities, we get desensitized to stories of violence. You're going to have violence in a big city. I get that. And sometimes on the way in, um, on the commute into the show and down here to a lovely, lovely chorus key, uh, CQ, we call it. Um, because it's easier and um, I can't spell it. I also can't spell key uh, properly when it's spelled with a Q. Sometimes we get desensitized to it and I'll hear shooting here, stabbing here. And I'm like, well, that's not really a talk topic. What am I supposed to say about that? That's bound to happen. And uh, obviously violent crime gets amplified. If there's something incredibly significant, we give it its time. We give it its due and we say, why is this happening? Sometimes uh, some of the violence is unusual and provoked and similar to the um, the homeless encampments last year. It was a massive in, in broad daylight, obviously, in late morning. Most people haven't had their second coffee yet. And we got jostling with police horses and mace involved and pushing and shoving and protesters showing up to uh, to barrack. Uh, if you will, for the homeless uh, in these camp in these encampments in Lamport Park in Lamport uh, near Lamport Stadium, in uh, in Trinity Bellwoods in High Park, so it, those were big stories. So you get kind of numb to it. What I'm not numb to is what we're waking up to this morning, and we woke up to yesterday morning as well. And I think people are still talking about it. And we got three, in essence, almost four full days of news to kind of review and and push into this show. But a violent evening doesn't even seem to describe what happened at Woodbine Beach on Sunday night. It doesn't. It's unusual in terms of the scope of the violence. Let me give you some rundown of this. And, uh, and, and we'll hear from a Toronto police officer that lays a lot of this out. It, it's the violence and the arrests and it's the injuries to law enforcement. Okay, peace officers, they get called when uh, when you get arrested for doing something to a quote unquote peace officer. That's bad news. Okay, 19 people arrested after a violent night at Woodbine Beach. There were two gunpoint robberies. There was a shooting. There was a stabbing. And I think the thing that makes most people uh, raise the eyebrows up, if you can do both at the same time, one more than the other. Fantastic. Is the fireworks shot at police officers. I'm sorry. Wait a second. Yes, I said fireworks shot intentionally at police officers. Not too many accidental fireworks go off at uh, at officers. I've seen the video of this Roman candles being held horizontal to the ground 
And you can let those those things shoot, right? They go bang, bang, bang. They don't make the noise, but a Roman candle has a constant pulsing, if you will, of of fireworks that will go in a certain direction. And if you're brave enough to hold it in your hand and risk injury, it becomes quite a weapon. I would think that's fairly obvious. Here's what the cops said about some of the charges involved. And I don't know the officer's name, but he spoke to the media yesterday about it. Numerous injuries were reported, including seven police officers. Some of the officer's injuries are serious in nature and include one officer breaking a leg while responding to a shooting, two officers receiving burns and ear injuries with firework, when fireworks were thrown and exploded near them. Yeah, it's unbelievable when we think about the scope of this. And I had a friend call me in Vancouver and say, what? Because this happens everywhere. People party. They go down to the beach. They light off some fireworks. They let some stress out. That's what happens. My parents would have Victoria Day parties. And uh, and I, I would remember them pretty distinctly when I was eight or nine years old. It's fun. You got friends come over, hot dogs, hamburgers, stuff goes up in the air, stuff explodes. But nobody gets hurt. And I feel like if the cops came to shut down uh, Brian and Ann Brady's uh, Victoria Day party, they might not have gone the route of shooting Roman candles at the at the at the peace officers. I don't know. I I felt like I grew up in a relatively law abiding household. I didn't see every tax return, but I will say I think I grew up in a relatively law abiding household. But they made 19 arrests after an incredibly violent night. There clearly was a clash here. And we've all gone to baseball parks, and uh, I, I, I always remember doing high, house league baseball coming after July 1st or coming after May 24th. And if you had a game the night after, even three or four nights after, you'd have to pick up like 12 different fireworks off the field. There were fireworks being shot off all day in our neighborhood yesterday. It felt like they started around 4 p.m. My wife dropped my kid off at soccer at 6 o'clock, and there's kids lighting fireworks off in the parking lot um, in, in Ajax. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Arrest a 15, throw a 15-year-old to the ground and say, stop that? And if you just say verbally, stop that, and you're a local citizen, they're going to they're gonna laugh at you. you that's not going to get anything done. But that's not what this was in the beaches on Sunday night specifically. It's not at all. John Tory went to television on uh, CP24 and addressed it yesterday. What we are not going to do is surrender to a bunch of hooligans who are taking advantage of the of the generosity of people living in the beaches neighborhoods to let all Torontonians enjoy those beaches. We are not going to, to uh, surrender to these hooligans uh, doing the most irresponsible thing I think I've ever heard of, which is shooting fireworks at each other. And so the chief and I will review what other steps we can take uh, to make sure this doesn't continue, because we can't let a small number of people who engage in this kind of hooliganism, uh, you know, interfere with the right of Torontonians to enjoy these beaches and to uh, gather there during the nice weather months. It's just not acceptable. Look, I, I know sometimes you'll hear a politician and you'll be like, OK, holier than thou. OK, hooligans. But right here, he's right. He's right about this. OK, shooting fireworks indiscriminately at neighbors and on their property repeatedly. I'm sorry, that's not pearl clutching. You pay to live in a nice neighborhood. You pay taxes. You don't have to apologize. I say this all the time. Don't apologize for advocating for your family. Don't apologize for where you live. And don't apologize that you want law enforcement and, and any kind of you know service that your taxes pay for to protect you and your neighborhood and your family. Don't be sorry about that. Well, it could be worse. You could be here. You could be there. That's not the point. We're talking and we're fo can we focus in on one thing specifically? 
Liam Murphy is a resident in the area, and he wrote, Can Inspector Jeff Bassingthwaite please deal with these exact same culprits shooting fireworks indiscriminately at my neighbors and their properties repeatedly in Toronto? He's near Woodbine Beach, and, uh, and it's documented. He took video of this and wrote, Yesterday evening, it was terrifying, shocking, and horrific after a shooting and a stabbing near Woodbine Beach. Immediate solutions are needed regarding this. Lives are at risk. And he's probably not wrong. Toronto Police Operations sent a tweet out yesterday uh, in the early hours, like around one in the morning, it looks like, Woodbine Beach Park. Uh, shooting. A man walked into a hospital with a gunshot wound. Officers on scene confirmed that man was shot earlier at Woodbine Beach Park. Ongoing investigation. You have a cop with a broken leg. You have a cop with a broken leg. And you've got uh, cops that have eye injuries from fireworks. Again, we could talk lots about the damage of fireworks. I don't mind them, but like I said earlier, I'm a little more skittish around them maybe than your average human being. Okay? You can lose a finger. You could have a facial injury. You could have a hand fracture or, or a laceration. Did you see the story last summer where a Columbus Blue Jackets goaltender uh, who played actually in that Blue Jackets uh, Maple Leaf series in 2020, he's dead. He died of chest trauma from an errant fireworks mortar blast on July 4th of last year at a private home. They didn't chart. He was in a hot tub trying to move out of the way of the firework when he was struck. So this is a massive problem. And John Tory has a right to be upset and residents have a right to be upset. This looks like this is right out of something that we would say is not Toronto, is not Ontario, is not Canada. And we need to talk a little bit more about it. And I'm with John Tory here. Um, sometimes I roll my eyes. Sometimes I think some of the things we do are sort of pearl-clutching moments. That's not what this is. Throw the book at the people involved in this. Shooting fireworks at cops? Where are we? Where are we? 2022, Toronto, that's where we are. And we got to fix it. We're very pleased to welcome in uh, the leader of Ontario's Green Party and uh, an MPP uh, for Guelph. He is, of course, Mike Schreiner. It is great to have you on. Thank you very much for making the time. Hey, Greg, my pleasure to be on. By the way, someday when all this, you know, we'll, we'll, the election's going to come and go. And someday you and I will just do, do 10 minutes on the air about college basketball. Because, my God, you went to Kansas when Kansas should have been really, really, really good. And then you went to Indiana for graduate school. Like, you must love your college basketball. You don't, you don't go to school where there's too many losing teams. Yeah, no, it was it was pretty fun to see uh, Kansas win the national championship again this year. And and they won uh, when I was a student there as well. That's the Danny Manning team, right? That must be that. That's team. right. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I was a massive Michigan fan growing up in London, Ontario. So when they won the next year, right, that's before the fabs. But that's that's, uh, you know, Terry Mills and Glenn Rice and Steve Fisher got that job that spring, right? Because Bill Frieder was going to go to another school and Bo Schembechler uh, was the athletic director. And he's like, no, you don't get to, you don't get to coach the, this tournament and then take off for Arizona state. You're out of here. And they ended up winning the tournament in 1989. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a, that was an amazing team. And I will tell you, it was pretty exciting when Kansas drafted Andrew Wiggins, who at that point time was the best known Canadian uh, basketball player out there. You're right. And they had Joel Embiid on the same team for one year exactly. and, and then lost in the Sweet 16. We need an investigation into uh, into how that happened. Um, let's talk about the debate. The deba I mean, so much has happened, right? You uh, you have recovered uh, from COVID and uh, and yet the I can't believe the debate was only a week ago. It feels like it was four weeks ago, but that's how this election cycle feels like it's going. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we're very excited. Uh, I think we had a strong debate performance and we've seen a huge surge in momentum for the Ontario Greens since the debate last Monday. Uh, you know, the number of sign requests, volunteers, donations, just people really excited to get out and connect with voters. And so we're hoping to capitalize on what we felt was a really strong debate performance. So no word of a lie. I'm watching it with my 16 year old son. I listened to it on the radio and then had to get home to uh, naturally see yours and the other three participants facial expressions. Um, so I could have a proper judgment for it because radio, you, you remember how people in 1960 thought Nixon won the debate over Kennedy on radio, but on TV, they thought Kennedy was better than Nixon because Nixon right. just wouldn't look at the camera. He's sweating, didn't look as friendly. So I'm watching with my 16 year old son. And after about half an hour, I said, which of the four candidates would you want to be premier? And, and Noel Brady, 16 year old grade 10 student said Mike Schreiner. So that's, I'm sure a lot of people said that and and you're like, well, that's great, but you need to know about the platform as well. Like it's no, nobody wants it to be sort of that backhanded compliment. Like I like the guy or or I like the man or the woman, but the party and, and what you stand for means something also. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we believe we have the strongest platform out there about how we build a caring, connected, climate ready Ontario. I mean, we've been leading the charge on policies to address the housing affordability crisis uh, to fix the cracks and the foundations, particularly of our systems of care by investing in the people who deliver health care in this province, making sure we expand mental health care to be available through OHIP, mm. and also making sure the province is ready to address the climate emergency that we're facing in a way that addresses people's cost of living concerns, sets our economy up for success in the fastest growing markets of the new climate economy, and also with a significant investment in climate, climate adaptation. I mean, this horrific storm we had this weekend, and just my heart goes out to everyone who lost a loved one. Big thanks to the first responders and the cleanup crews who are working so hard, especially to restore power for those who don't have it right now. But it also shows that we have to make a significant investment in shoring up our infrastructure to make sure that we're ready to withstand the impacts of these climate-fueled weather events. We're the only party that's talking about that in our platform. What are some of those significant things? I was going to ask you about infrastructure, but what are some of the uh, the meat and potatoes basics of what could be could be improved? Not, not just, look, sometimes Mother I always say this, sometimes Mother Nature is going to win, but what can you do in the immediate aftermath so people aren't without power for four or five days? Yeah, well, certainly upgrading our um, electrical system and making sure that where possible, we can bury uh, hydro lines and where not, that um, that we have the proper infrastructure in place that they can withstand these climate-fueled weather events. We also know the financial accountability officer uh, put forward a study saying that just this decade alone, municipal and provincial-owned buildings will likely withstand about $6 billion worth of damage uh, due to extreme heat and rain. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that we make the retrofits to those buildings uh, to help them withstand these extreme weather events. And at the same time, we should also be making them more energy efficient so we can help people and, and our public facilities uh, be able to save money by saving energy. And at the same time, that would significantly reduce climate pollution as well. So this gets to the power grid, doesn't it? And, 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 and it needs a revamp and that, you know, that stresses people out. I'm sure you talk to prospective voters who say, how can we do this quickly? How much is this going to cost? We, you and I have this discussion, uh, and I know you do with other people, about, about electric cars. It's one thing for me to be able to charge my car in my garage, but someone living in a downtown Toronto condo may say, 
well, how are they going to put 90 charging stations in the condo where I live? And then who pays for it? All these are important questions. Oh, absolutely. And they're especially important questions because the cost of fuel is going through the roof and you can fill up your electric vehicle for five bucks, you know, versus a hundred bucks at the pumps. But we have to make sure the charging infrastructure is in place. And so rolling out chargers in um, condominium and commercial parking lots, as well as surface parking lots, you see in Europe and even in some places in Quebec, where there's even on street chargers now available for people who are just parking on street. So we need to ramp up that infrastructure, one, to address the climate crisis, but two, to help people save money by getting big oil out of their wallets. Mike Schreiner is our guest, Ontario Green Party leader. Um, people ask about the emergency broadcast system, and I think that's an important question, too. And and I wish we could utilize. We all check our phones pretty frequently and, we, you know, we'll get an Amber Alert that will wake us up. And we should. And I'm never somebody that even tolerates complaints about that because that's a pretty important part of our system. But some people say, why can't we have a similar alert for inclement weather coming in. We had this this storm took a lot of people by surprise. No one was talking about it Friday night or even first thing Saturday morning, but we 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 started to get a sense early in the morning as it came up from southwestern Ontario that you know, through your area, through London that we were going to have some problems in the GTA, but we didn't have much warning. Yeah, no, having proper warning systems in place and and making sure uh people can you know have the time to take cover is, is vital and we're going to absolutely have to be looking at our warning systems I, I remember you know that morning i was standing in my my bedroom and looked out the window and saw a tree branch come crashing down on my backyard furniture and i thought okay this one this one is uh, going to be much more severe than i think any of us are anticipating yeah it, it, it was like that i i know so Rewind the clocks back to the debate and the subsequent reaction afterwards. I know a lot of people say, well, what makes the green, what differentiates the Green Party from the NDP? What are the significant factors? Because people did document how you have respect for for Andrea Horvath. She clearly has great respect for you. So that was sort of the, the least, you know, your exchanges with her seem to be the least fraught with with tension. Why should someone vote green and not NDP? Well, first of all, the Greens are, are leading on a number of key issues. Uh, one is the housing affordability crisis. We released uh, a plan last June that you know some have called a masterclass plan in delivering the solutions. And it's the bold, unafraid policy around particularly getting speculation out of the housing market, ending exclusionary zoning so people can you know build duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, make it easier to build laneway housing and tiny homes. So it's our leadership on that. Uh, the other one is addressing poverty. You know, we're the first mm -hmm. party that came out saying we have to double social assistance rates so that people with disabilities do not live in legislated poverty. Poverty costs the province $33 billion a year. It was nice to see the NDP follow our lead on that, though. I don't know why they're waiting a year because people who are literally living in legislative poverty can't wait another year. And I would say the final one is the Ontario mm. Greens have always had a deep understanding of the economy and what it's going to take to set Ontario up for economic success. There will be 65 million jobs created globally this decade in the new climate economy, renewable energy, electrifying uh, transportation mm. and buildings, building retrofits, uh, water purification, the list goes on and on. The Ontario Greens have the policies and plans to set this province up to be a global leader in these emerging mm. markets, creating new careers, better job opportunities, and economic prosperity for this province. I think that's the vision. 
that is motivating people. And that's the vision, you know, I articulated in the debate. And um, I'm continuing to share with Ontarians as we ramp up our campaign during these final nine days. I've literally got 40 seconds and I'm making this late as it is. But I want to the one thing I, I know for sure, you're going to have a higher vote percentage than you had in 2018. I know that I can I can see the polls and I know that'll be true. Can you get a second seat? Can you get three seats? Do you see seats where where in ridings where you can you can add to to your um, your establishment and, and your voice in, in Queens Park? Oh, absolutely. We have huge momentum in Perry Sound, Muskoka, and we're seeing surging poll numbers there. Also, University of Rosedale, where our star candidate, Diane Sachs, the former environment commissioner, I say, you know, Doug Ford fired the wrong environment commissioner. Let's rehire her as an MPP. Mike, let's talk again before June 2nd. Thanks very much for the time today. Hey, anytime, Greg. Take care. Mike Schreiner, uh, Ontario Green Party leader. Bill Maher did something. I, uh, You know I'm a Bill Maher fan, and I adamantly... He drives me crazy, and I can't stop watching the show. I'm disappointed when it goes on hiatus, and I agree with some of what he says, and I don't agree with others. Remember when we were able to like do that with people, and we'd be like, hey, sometimes he's right, and sometimes he's wrong, but he's interesting, and I learn things. And if anything, sometimes I dig my feet in, and I entrench myself more in, in, in agreeing with disagreeing with him, and sometimes he's like, uh, says something, and I'm like, you know, you're you're pulling me in a different direction here. I can evolve my opinion on something like this. He went to maybe one of the most controversial issues that there is right now, and that's um, the increase in those identifying as LGBT. And he attributed it partly to being trendy. Now, you often hear me say this, that sometimes two things are true. Sometimes two things can be true at the same time that seem contradictory. And I was talking with somebody yesterday about this, and they said, I'll play you some clips, by the way, from, from Bill's appearance and let you decide for yourself what you think about what he said. I think he's very right about a couple things and very off, off, the, off the mark on a couple others. But it's worth playing the audio. Again, it's you know how people write retweets don't mean endorsements. Playing the audio is not an endorsement, and I'll explain why. So what's an example of a two things can be true at the same time? Let's take even something as simple as cops and criminals. Let, let's take that. I think a suspect could do something legitimately criminal that probably deserves arrest and prosecution. But maybe, just maybe, in some cases, the cops botch the arrest and do something to the criminal to violate their civil rights in a way that's not justifiable under the law. It makes that criminal harder to convict in front of a judge or a jury. Couldn't I make the case that O.J. Simpson, in essence, is that case where two things can be true at the same time? I think the cops were trying to set O.J. up, and I do think he committed the crime of murder in the first degree. Okay, so I think both those things are accurate. O.J. did it. And the cops were trying to set him up. You can't say OJ's innocent because the cops were trying to set him up. And you can't say OJ deserved to be guilty in the court of law because of all the evidence to suggest the cops were setting him up. So that's a theoretical example rather than a specific one. But I think Bill Maher puts audio to, uh, to, to work here. And there are a couple things that are accurate. Here's some of what he said about the increase of people identifying as LGBT. And I think when I give you some of these numbers, you'll be surprised they're even this high. It wasn't that long ago when adults asked a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? They meant what profession? (laughs) 
In the wake of America about to lose abortion rights, the ACLU recently tweeted a list of those who would be disproportionately harmed by this. You would think women might top that list. No, wasn't even on the list. Second on the list was LGBT. Really? Abortion rights affects gay and trans people more than, you know, breeders? I'm happy for LGBT folks that we now live in an age where they can live their authentic lives openly. And we should always be mindful of respecting and protecting. But someone needs to say it. Not everything's about you. A lot of conversation about puberty blockers. That sounds like, oh my God, I want to run away from the conversation about puberty blockers. But let me point this out. What are they? Let's talk about what they are. Well, obviously, I think there's younger people who live with feelings every day. And some are transgender feelings. And some are non-binary. And puberty can make those feelings far worse. But it is that tricky conversation about parents and whether or not they should give kids when they verbalize those feelings of I may be transgender, I may be non-binary. To me, kids feel like their bodies are kind of betraying them a little bit. Everything that they're supposed to line up with does not like to conform like boys like girls, girls like boys. That doesn't line up with how they're feeling. So it overwhelms younger people. It frustrates younger people. And thus, puberty blockers are prescribed. Now, they're medications that literally pause puberty. Okay, there's a hormone that your body makes naturally, and that hormone ends up getting blocked. And the controversy is, well, what's the age we should be doing that? Some kids get puberty blockers at age eight. That feels really early to me to be making calls about gender. That feels early. That's my opinion. You're allowed to have yours. But 10 or 11 is when most doctors agree that's when puberty begins. That makes some sense to some extent. Okay. Now, here's where I disagree. So I here's where I disagree with Bill Maher on this because he makes the point that if being gay is all biological, why are there regionalities to some of the data? And he's right about the data. There's a higher percentage of LGBTQ in California than Texas, in New York than Georgia. He makes the case, but I think he's got something wrong here about the conversation. Dr. Erica Anderson is a prominent 71-year-old clinical psychologist who is herself transgender and who now says, I think it's gone too far. The LA Times summarizes, she's come to believe that some children identifying as trans are falling under the influence of their peers and social media. If you attend a small dinner party of typically very liberal upper-income Angelinos, it is not uncommon to hear parents who each have a trans kid having a conversation about that. What are the odds of that happening in Youngstown, Ohio? If this spike in trans children is all natural, why is it regional? Either Ohio is shaming them or California is creating them. And we come back to why can't two things be true at the same time? It's getting described as grooming in the states. That makes people uncomfortable when they see that word groomer. This was the concern, although I think it's misguided, with legislation in Florida where gay teachers would talk about their own lives and somehow, some way, that would influence little kids to say, well, maybe I'm gay at age five or six, where I think, and I'm allowed to think it, um, that might be too early to be having those conversations. I'm incredibly glad our society's evolved to greater acceptance of all LGBTQ identities. Of course I am. 
I have so many prominent gay people in my life. But this is where we may be going wrong here. And I'll read you from uh, that particular doctor that Bill Maher referenced. I'll read you from her San Francisco examiner op-ed. Um, some of the messaging has landed on vulnerable use, searching not just for keys to their own identity, but solutions to other psychological and emotional problems, including serious psychiatric problems. Here is where things may have gone wrong. Some influencers are literally encouraging the idea that one's psychological distress may be because a young person is trans and is suffering from gender dysphoria. You've heard that phrase probably before. The remedy, they say, she writes, and she's 71 and she's, she's transition, is to come out as trans or non-binary, which the influencers advise will alleviate their suffering. You'll be welcomed into the company of other trans and gender creative persons. Such young people may have found acceptance through virtual acceptance since much of this rapport is online. And here's what she writes as well. Increasingly, I am contacted by parents whose child has come out to them as trans in recent weeks. Searching for help, they find me because they want to be affirming. But they report that the newly asserted gender identity occurred during the pandemic and they can't recall any significant suggestion of gender creativity by their child prior to recent events, though many parents report previous psychological problems with the child. It's really complicated. It's a really difficult conversation. And those dinner parties do exist. And I listen to those those couples and those parents that talk about what their child, their biological boy or biological girl is going through. And I ache. And, and yet I want them to be able to get it right. I want people to be who they are. I want people to be happy. And I want to be open-minded and conscientious. We're all still learning about a lot of this. We are. And I think Bill Maher's wrong here in suggesting that you wouldn't be more likely to be in the closet if you lived in a red state than a blue state. I'm sorry. That's what the data shows. They survey these kids. They survey these parents. And they say all of those things. If you're curious about Canada, do you want to bring it back to Canada? Uh, one in 300 people right now, over 15, identify as transgender or non-binary. And it's probably more than that 0.3%. Okay? Most countries don't collect this data. We do. At least we're having the proper conversations about it. But we all would know and we all would guess there's probably that age and that line where it's probably too early to have that conversation. Eight might be that number. Nine might even be that number. There's a huge difference between an eight-year-old and a 14 and 15-year-old. I think we can concur on that. Anthony Farnell is Global News' chief meteorologist, and I'm telling you, uh, you, you wrote this. Um, take the storm seriously. You wrote this on Twitter late in the morning on Saturday. The entire line is racing at 90 kilometers an hour. We'll be in Toronto before 2 p.m. I took that to heart because nobody Friday afternoon, nobody Friday evening, evening saw something this bad coming and i'm glad i saw your tweet because we were a lot more prepared than we would have been otherwise we we could have been out for a walk five kilometers away yeah and uh, you know what greg that that's kind of the the worst case for me when it happens on a long weekend it's a saturday we don't generally have the the breaking news coverage ability that we would say during the week but uh, yeah, I, I was all over it on Saturday morning. You just saw that these thunderstorm complexes were, were joining together. They were creating what we call a, a bow echo on radar. And, and when that happens, uh, sometimes they can last for a very long time. It was hot. It was humid in the morning. And then we just saw those storms racing through and they 
just kept going for about a thousand kilometers. That's how big the damage swath was uh, on Saturday. Yeah, like it, the, the tidal wave. I have friends, obviously, relatives, and uh, my parents are outside of London. And when you started hearing from them, you're like, it's not just going to stop. These the, the, This kind of storm doesn't just you know cease to exist when it gets to the GTA border. We're all going to get smucked by this pretty hard. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it, it has a name and it, it gets uh, qualified as a, a derecho, which basically in Spanish means straight ahead. And that's just what these storms do. They move basically in a line and they almost create uh, their own their own weather because you have so much rain and cold air falling behind it it brings some of those winds down from the mid and upper atmosphere and yeah it was moving at 90 to 100 kilometers an hour the winds i'm thinking around uxbridge ottawa were in the 130 to 150 range and and these are straight line winds that occur over such a large area and the track the fact it was moving from southwestern ontario up to the northeast i mean the population centers that it hit uh, just was a worst case scenario and and of course power crews are, are are left trying to deal with with so many down lines uh still at this time i'm seeing so many power lines down uh so many people e- even with their windows blown in on main floors like it, when's the last time we saw a storm like this we had a tornado in barry last summer we we obviously have had massive damage from ice storms in the winter a couple of them uh that significant one before christmas i think in 13 going into 14 i think i have the year right it might have been 14 going into 15 yep no but, uh, you got it right yep uh, but we've but in the summer never something so widespread like we'll, we'll we'll hear about a tornado touchdown but the damage as serious as it is in, in that sort of 10k 20k radius it's not it's not sort of, you know, as as widespread and, and just a tidal wave of destruction. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And, uh, you know, these winds uh, in that range that I mentioned, 120 plus kilometers an hour. This is uh, going on. If it was a tornado, it would be EF0, EF1. And some of the damage that we're seeing is equivalent to that. So uh, it's just incredible to see. I know back in the 90s, uh, 95 and 98, there were a couple of these classified derechos uh, that moved through, but never on this angle, never encompassing so much population. So uh, that's really what's unique about it. The fact the leaves are out on the trees just recently uh, helped to bring a lot more of them down. And it's sad to see some of the really old ones coming down with this storm. You you tweeted what I saw, and that's that CBS News. uh, now, Now they can... Lay claim to it of the trampoline just flying down. The, it bounces off a minivan like this is not a trampoline isn't something that, uh, like I said, you know, four people could just pick up and move. So um, my basketball net has four giant bricks on it. It kind of shifted sideways and we had both our cars in the driveway, like another couple feet. And it's crashing down through one of those windshields or even the top roof. I know that that kind of damage I'm hearing from plenty of people anecdotally that say, yeah, my basketball net came down or or something. Fl- a patio yeah. chair bounced off the side of my car. And now I got a huge dent in it. These these are the re- real everyday things we all we all went through Saturday. Yeah. And, and for the most part, I mean, the things that you just mentioned, those you're not really getting insurance to cover. No. So it, it's everybody kind of making that decision. All right. Do I even put this claim in if it's just a dent, if it's a, a small branch that came down on my house? But uh, I, boy, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a while that we're recovering from this. And and some of the, the cottages across eastern Ontario, some of those lakes, uh, there's still people that 
that are probably not going to have power for, for another week, possibly, the way yeah. I, I see some of these trees coming down. Hey, we'll be watching tonight, Anthony. Thanks so much for uh, for updating us on this, and, and thanks for your tweet Saturday morning. It was helpful for me, and I know a bunch of other people. Uh, you were on it really early in the morning. Like you said, unconventional, long weekend. A lot of people put their phones away, but uh, but I'm glad I didn't put mine away. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. You got it, man. Anthony Farnell, Global News Chief Meteorologist. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. We appreciate you being here for us. Live show tomorrow on the Radio Player Canada app and at 640toronto.com. We'll see you tomorrow.